today I'm going to be continuing our series on the book of James, and, and, and like I've told you in the past, we're going to be in the book of James for quite some time. It's a, it's a very deep book. It's a, it's a book that I'm, I'm wrestling with. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book. Um, I, I think I, I've talked about James many times. It's, it's not something that I enjoy necessarily working through, and I think today's passage is, is one of the reasons why. It's, it's not comfortable. And it's not going to be comfortable. I think before every sermon I've given uh, in, this, in this series, I've, I've said, you know, this is going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. It's going to challenge you a little bit in a little way. And, and the same goes for today. And I think as I've been reading this passage, uh, and, and before I, I lose you, I, I've been reading this passage over and over again, trying to find greater insights and I want to share with you what I've been wrestling with. I've been, I want to share with you uh, kind of my new outlook on the book of James, especially this passage. But before I get into it, let's read from James chapter 2, starting from verse 14. And if you have a Bible, I would, I would uh, encourage you to open it up with me to James chapter 2, starting from verse 14, or it's on the screen behind me. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active among his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled and says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So this is a very controversial, very controversial passage. And I think this is why we spend time on Sundays reading the Word of God. There's been a time, uh, I, I like going over these passages that are very deep in theological truth. is because this passage is so controversial in what James is bringing about this close relationship between faith and works. And in order to understand why this is so controversial is, is to understand church history. And I'm not here to give you a history lesson, but just know that one of the reasons why we are called Protestants is because we were protesting. We were protesting something about the Catholic Church, the established church at the time. And it was this idea, this idea... That essentially if you gave or if you did more, that your time in purgatory or your time in this place of suffering, in this place of 
of kind of sanctification. The sanctification process would be working out that it would be lessened. And, and Martin Luther did his best, and he did a relatively good job protesting the Catholic Church, protesting this idea that you could pay more money and then be in the good graces of God. He, he was really frustrated with that idea, and he began this movement, this, ref, this reformation movement, where it was not about works, but our faith was based on grace alone. And I think this is the same heart that our church still has today, that our, our church is about a faith based on grace and not based on works. But what has inevitably happened in our present day religion, in our faith, in our system, is that this faith in grace, in my opinion, has actually become a faith in faith. And that sounds a little weird. And, and this is kind of what I've been wrestling with. Is that there are still people that have a faith in works. And there are people that have a faith in faith. And there is the third option, which is what we're supposed to have. Is a faith in grace. And I want to explain these three different faiths. And I want to show you the different works that are produced by each. And I want to explain to you how important this is in light of what James is talking about. To start with, James is, is bringing up this argument that there is no such thing as faith without works. And as much as I, I want to wrestle with this, I, I just want to give him privilege and say, yeah, you're absolutely right. If you believe in something, if you have faith in something, if you trust in something, that naturally works are going to be produced out of this faith, and that a faith apart from works is dead, and that it's not fair to call it faith, that if anything, the faith is a lie. What I'm realizing in the church especially is that we all have faith. Some of us just don't have faith directed in the right place. And a lot of what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian, is to have your faith redirected to the cross redirected to the gospel, to Christ. And so these three different buckets, this faith in works, this faith in faith, and this faith in grace. I want to go over first and foremost this faith in works. And, and, and this is really what I want to clarify with James and, and what I believe Martin Luther wanted to even clarify when it came to the book of James is that there are sometimes that we have a faith in works. And really in this concept of having a faith in works, the person who is in charge, the one who is sitting on the throne, is the individual, is the self. It's me. And the faith in works, it doesn't have to even be from a Christian perspective. I believe many atheistic people, atheists and agnostics, that it's this understanding that the, the world... The world is chaos. The world is crazy. And they agree with us in that. But in that chaos, if I do good things, if I live by a certain moral code, if I live life a good way, then good results and good outcomes will, out, will outflow from my life. And so a lot of times what we find ourselves in is this materialistic philosophy, this mindset, this workaholic attitude that the more effort I put in, the greater the reward that I will receive. 
the more practice I do, the more mastery that I will have. And it is this understanding that it is a cause and effect relationship. And it's a faith in works. Is if I work really hard, if I try my best, I will get rewarded. And this is, in many ways, a good working philosophy. You see it in the American dream. You see it when you see immigrants coming from a distant land like many of our parents or even, it might be even you, coming from a different country and coming to America with $20 in your pocket and you realize, if I work really hard, I'm going to be rewarded appropriately. And we have a lot of students in here, and this is kind of the, the philosophy and the mantra that you're constantly taught. You work hard, you study hard, you're going to get good grades. If you get good grades, you're going to get into a good college, you're going to study hard, you're going to work hard, and then from that good college, you're going to go into a good grad school, you're going to go to a good professional school, and then you're going to go to a good residency, then you're going to go to a good, inter, a good fellowship, you're going to do all these different things, and then you will find a proportionate, a equal reward to all of your hard work. And so it's this faith in works. If you didn't have a faith in works, then why would you work so hard? If you didn't believe that doing a good job, that being strong and, and, and working really hard was going to lead to a reward, what are you doing? Of course, you want to work hard so that you can be rewarded well. And a lot of us, whether we like it or not, we live in this bucket where our faith is on works. And the works that we believe in is the works that we do. And it is this causal relationship. It is this correlation between works and reward that we love seeing. And some of us have translated this to our relationship with God. Where we, we, we want to say, okay, I don't want to be on the throne. I don't want to be in charge. But I still see this, this power of works. I see how works are so important. And so when I go before God, when I go before him, I'm not atheistic. I'm not agnostic. I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But if, if, works, if, if works are so powerful and there is this correlative causal relationship between works and reward, okay, so God must want me to work really hard and then he will reward me really well. And so when I go to church and when I, when I go on mission trips, when I do all these things, my faith is in the work that I do for the Lord. And great things happen. Those are the kind of people, they go on a lot of mission trips. They're the ones that, they, they go to the soup kitchen. They're the ones that, that they serve really well. They scrub the floors. They clean the toilets. And they're doing it on the outside, what seems like really good in terms of, wow, they're the, they're the all-stars. They're the ones that are doing all of the, of the stuff that no one else wants to do. And as a pastor, they're the people that I'm like, man, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to have, you know, such diligent, hardworking people who are serving the ministry. But what I realize is many times the reason why they're working so hard is because they believe that they need to work hard for the Lord in order to receive their reward. And this has inherently caused a shift into the second bucket, a faith in faith. 
And I think this is where I have to talk more about myself uh, before I begin. And this faith in faith is, is, is a distant cousin from the faith in works, but they are closely related. And this faith in faith is, are, are the kind of people that drive me crazy and yet I realize that it is me deep down inside. And these people that have a faith in faith are the ones, when you go through your, your struggles, when you go through your trials, when you go through your hardships, they're the ones that are first to say, you just need to pray about, pray about it. They're the ones that say, you know what, God, God is going to come through. They're the ones that are going to say, you know what, the reason why you've gone through this, this struggle and trial is because you have a lot of sin. And, and, and you know what, you need to repent over your sin, and then once you confess and you repent, then everything's going to be better. These are the kind of people that they spiritualize everything because they have a faith in strong faith. They're the ones that will tell you, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And I've gone through this because I've tried to be the good Christian, the one who goes to church and, and does all the things. I was, I was the one when I was in, in elementary school all the way to high school that I knew all the memory verses. I knew what to say. I knew how to say it. When I bowed to, to my elders, I did the full 90 degrees. You know, I, I, was, I was the good kid. But when problems happened, what ended up happening, the works didn't fix my problems because I worked really hard and I still had these struggles, these problems with my life. And so this faith in faith group came to me and said, you know what? It's because you don't believe. You need to believe more. You need to pray harder. You need to name it and proclaim it. You need to own it. And when you have that kind of faith, then God will come. Then God will show up. You need to worship more. You need to, you need to be on your knees. You need to fast. And so that's what I did. I thought, okay, I need to build a greater faith. That's why I'm having so many problems in my life, is that I need to be the one to have a greater faith in God. And God is not helping me right now because I have a weak faith. The reason why I say these two camps are distant cousins is because in both of these camps, the one who is sitting on the throne is me. The one who determines what happens next is me. Those that have faith in works, they sit on the throne because it's dependent on their works. But the same goes for those that sit in the faith of faith, is that they sit on the throne because they're the ones who have the faith. But there is this third category, which is truly what I believe James is talking about, and it's those that have a faith in grace. And what I need to understand as I read the book of James is that it is a very important progression of these three aspects of these three topics I want to talk about is that we have changed the order of operations for them and it's completely ruined the equation. See, for some of us, we believe works, hard works, works of service, works of selflessness will produce a greater faith. And this faith will then unlock the grace of God. 
And some are reading James to say, no, faith is the most important thing. And faith will produce works which will unlock the grace of God. And I want to explain to you the reason why I've spent so much time trying to explain to you this equation is because it is only the grace of God which can produce true faith in you, which will inherently produce works. Let me say that again because it's good. The grace of God is the only thing that can produce the faith in God, which is the only thing which can produce righteous works. This is the only way the equation works. It always and forever will begin with the grace of God, never with the work of man, never with the faith of man. But the grace of God will always produce the faith in God, which will always produce righteous works. Never the other way around. And this is truly the problem that James is speaking about. And there is this this section that is so frightening to me, but I realize it is so important. And it's when when he talks in verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. You believe God is one. You believe in the Trinity. You believe this idea that God is good and, and he is He is holy and he is righteous. You believe that God is one. You do well. And he says something that should bother you. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. You believe that God is one and it's good. That's a good thing to believe. But the demons believe that as well. The demons know who God is. The demons know who Jesus is. The demons know the power of the Holy Spirit. The demons know, like Satan knows that God, (laughs) Satan actually has a a step above us. He's been in the presence of God. The demons were fallen angels. They were in the courts. They were there singing his praises that they believe, and they shudder. I mean, they they, they know the holiness of God. And yet, what they believe, what the demons believe, teaches us so much about where we need to focus our attention. The one thing that the demons do not really believe is that the death of Jesus That the death of Jesus is restorative. That the death of Jesus brings new life. See, I think there's a lot of us that we believe in God and we shudder like the demons. We believe that God is real, but we believe he's angry and we believe he's wrathful. We believe he's vindictive. We believe he's jealous and we believe he's angry and maniacal. And anytime we do something wrong, that God is there with the hammer to smack us. That God is there to strike us down and be angry because we think he's like this terrible father that anytime we mess up, that God is ready to squash us. And the fact that you believe that, it's what the demons believe as well. The demons understand that God is angry. They understand that God is wrathful, that he has all of this this need to justify what is wrong and what what is broken with the world. The demons understand this as well, and they shudder. 
They are in submission to Christ in that sense. Many times, even in the New Testament, we see that the authority of Jesus is authority over the demons. He speaks to demons and they flee because they, they know his power. They know his authority. And I believe many of us have the same theology as the demons. And let me tell you, that is quite frightening if someone tells you that you have the same theology as demons. The reason why our theology is not that it's different from the demons. It's redeemed. It's renewed. See, we also believe that God has wrath towards sin, that God has a desire to punish the wicked, has a desire to make right what has been broken, to fix and heal. And we know that it's harsh. We know, we know that the wrath of God is not, is not just all calm, that the holiness of God is frightening, that it, it, there is this understanding that it, it should make you shudder in fear. The one thing that we have that the demons do not have is a Savior. And it is the Savior who bore the wrath of God for us, who bore the punishment for us, that although we were still sinners deserving to be smashed and smacked and punished for our sin, that instead God sent his only son to die for us, to bear that burden for us. And so it's not that we disagree with the demons. We actually say, you're right on. God is wrathful. He is angry. He is, he is wanting to punish sin. But the biggest difference is, is that my faith is based on his grace, which is shown through Jesus. And now I do not have to live in fear of God. I live in freedom. I live in joy because I'm not the one being punished. I'm not the one experiencing the wrath of God. My Savior did on the cross. My Savior did when he was being beaten and whipped my Savior did when he was being mocked and scorned, when he was being spat on and a crown of thorns was placed on his head. That is what my faith is based on. And this is where a lot of us need to be. And a lot of us need to rest in this, in this understanding that our faith is based on grace alone, that it's not based on our works, it's not based on the strength of your faith, that the, the strength of your faith is based on the strength of the cross and the cross alone. So no one can tell you, no one should tell you, if anyone has told you that the reason why you're going through hard times is because you lack faith, I want you to, under, I want you to understand it's not because you lack faith. If someone tells you you're going through hard times because you haven't been working hard enough, you haven't been doing enough. It's not that. Truly, when you go through hardships and trials, it is so that you can experience a part of what Jesus went through. So that you can empathize with your Savior. It's not because you deserve it. In the same way, it's not because he deserved it. But we count it all joy when we go through various trials. We count it a joy because we can partake in the suffering of our Savior. And it's in that that we grow. And we, we are nourished by a growth of faith in grace. But there's a caveat. Faith always produces works. And again, this is faith that is produced by grace. 
that grace produces this faith, but faith inevitably produces righteous works. So what does that mean? And I know what it looks externally. Externally, it looks like a life of servitude and a life of humility, but the way we get there is of great importance. Grace produces faith. Faith produces works. The works is clearly defined by Christ many times in the gospel, twice in the book of Matthew. But particularly in chapter 10, he explains to his disciples their job, what they need to do, an action that they have to do as his followers is one thing, broken up into two pieces. It's deny yourselves and take up your cross daily. And I think we like to gloss over this I think we like to make the the work that is produced by faith, that is produced by grace, we like to make it into something more more concrete, something that we can really dig our teeth into and and wrap our head around. So for us, it's like, yeah, the way that I I show my faith is by, you know, serving the poor. The way I show uh, my faith is by serving on leadership at the church. The way I show my faith is is by going onto the streets and evangelizing. The way I, I show my faith is by raising my children well. The way I show my faith is by loving my wife. We like to put concrete terms onto something that's kind of confusing, but Jesus puts into concrete terms the work that he is looking for in true faith, and that work is very simple but impossible to do alone, and that is to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. It is this denial of self that shows your faith in grace. It is your denial of self that shows your faith of the grace of the cross. And it's only this denial of self that will show your faith and prove your faith. Like what he's talking about when it comes to Abraham and Rahab is only this denial of self that will give veracity, that will will be like a litmus test to your faith in the grace of God more than anything else. Because it's this denial of self that will lead you to take up a cross and to die for others. To lay down your life for others. See, in in the faith in works, the faith in works will never tell you, take up your cross. Oh, no, 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 no. Faith in works will tell you, work harder so that you don't get crucified. Faith in faith will never tell you to take up your cross because faith in faith says, oh no, when someone offers you a cross, you just pray it away. (laughs) You just make sure that you have a greater faith because God will move that mountain. God will move that obstacle and struggle in your life. So you need to pray more, brother. You need to pray more, sister, because when you encounter troubles, when you encounter these issues, you pray it and that cross will go away. But faith, In grace, when trials and tribulation comes, we fall on our knees, deny ourselves, and we take up this cross, but not on our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's only through that power that we can stand, that we can carry that cross, because we have a high priest who carried it first. We have a high priest who had the ability to withstand the pain, the torture, and the torment in those hard times. 
And I think a lot of us are ready to rely on the Holy Spirit. A lot of us are ready to take up our, our cross, to deny ourselves. That it's not about us, it's not about our church, it's not about what we can do, it's not about how big we can grow, how much money we can raise. Because all of that is in these two camps. It's about work or it's about faith. It's about having more work so you can have more faith. Have more faith so you can do more work. And it's this constant back and forth. What I'm trying to explain to you that James is talking about is that if we have a true faith in the grace of God, our church will begin to deny ourselves and our church will take up our cross for our community, for each other, for one another, that even if you want to kill me, even if you want to destroy us, even if you want to put us down, that we will deny ourselves in humble submission, not to each other, but first and foremost to the Lord. And it will come across as being submissive to one another. Again, like I said, this is an uncomfortable passage because this doesn't just apply to church world. This actually applies to your jobs. And I'm speaking to those of you that have a hard time showing your faith to your coworkers, showing your faith to those that you work with, that you see, sometimes even more than your own immediate family. You know, I, I hear some of your work stories. I hear that you're at work all the time, and you're with these people all the time, and they drive you crazy, and I'm sure they do. What I'm asking for you to begin to start doing is not to work harder or have more faith. What I'm actually asking you is to meditate and focus more on what Jesus has done for you, even when you were still a sinner, that he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you, that he was risen from the dead so that you could be victorious in your life, that as you dwell and meditate and worship and praise on what your Savior has done, that you would be this much more willing because of that faith to deny yourself for your coworkers. That you would take up that cross. That when they send you that email at midnight saying that they need your help, that before you, you go to this faith in works and before you go to this faith in faith, that you would truly remember Jesus. And you would say, Jesus, I, I don't want to help this person. I don't want to answer this email. I don't want to cover them again. <laughs> They, they've been so bad to me. They've been so harsh on me. I don't want to help them. That at that moment, Jesus would shine the mirror back on you and explain to you, you know, I helped you when you were my enemy. I loved you while you were still a sinner. And I still died for you. I still bore the burden for you. See, again, church, it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to what our Savior has done is that the more we rest on his grace and his forgiveness, his redemption, his restoration, the resurrection that we experience through Christ, the more when we experience the trials and tribulations of our life that we will have the strength, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in those times that the flaming arrows come, that we will be fitted with the full armor of God, knowing that he will save, knowing that he will redeem. And the guarantee is you will experience a miracle 
very similar to how Jesus experienced the miracle of resurrection. You will experience that coworker that has been that pain in your side for so long that the moment you show them love, you show them some grace, not based on your goodness, your kindness, but based on the kindness that Jesus has shown to you, that all of a sudden that thorn in your side becomes your greatest advocate. And it creates community in a place of hostility. And I pray this for my church. That as we have our conflict and our strife, as we have our problems with one another, that instead of relying on our own goodness, oh, I'm such a good person, I'm just going to keep a smile on my face and be nice, we would always instead defer to the goodness of Christ, that our faith would not be on works, our faith would not be in the strength of our faith, But truly, the grace of God would produce in us a true faith, which would produce righteous works. We talk a lot about growing, growing as Christians. And I thought about how I'm supposed to help you grow as Christians. And I realize, I realize in many ways, there are times I want you to grow in your service to one. I want you to go on mission trips. I want you to go and, 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 Go to Christ's body and serve the homeless. I want you to go to St. Anna's and help, help the elderly. I want you to clean. I want you to do all the things that are good of service. And then for some of you, I, I want you to have a greater faith, a passion, a fire for Jesus. You know, to worship, dancing, and singing. But what I've realized, and what I hope you realize as well, that no one can create that in you, but only the grace of God and only the power of the Holy Spirit can lead you to those things. And I would rather have you be idle and do nothing and not sing and not serve to allow time for the Holy Spirit to meet you, to have a moment of relationship with you. That is the most important thing because without learning the grace of God, faith and works are meaningless. So Father, I pray that your love your unconditional, your perfect, your holy love would reside over these people, over this congregation. Father, that they would experience how gracious and good you are, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good, that Jesus is not here demanding anything, but Jesus came to die for us that we could live lives of freedom, free from the sin, free from the death, free from the worry of this world, and instead we can be embraced by you. Father, I pray that this congregation would not be hypocritical, would not be pharisaical, that, Lord, we would not do things for the sake of doing things, that we would not sing these songs with an empty heart, but instead our hearts would be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with your word, be filled with your love, and it's this love that would transform us. It's this grace that would move us, and that the faith that is produced would truly lead to good works of denying ourselves and taking up our cross for those around us. Father, I pray that you would create in us this true faith, And you would help us to produce these good works by revealing to us how gracious you are. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.